0: We are continuing our study in 1 Samuel. We have seen in the context of this book that this is a very dark period in the history of Israel. We are aware of the period of the judges in which it tells us that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Very, very dark time in the history of Israel. What is lacking is good leadership. And as we come to the book of 1 Samuel, what we find is there's this transition from a uh, loose-knit confederacy of 12 tribes to a monarchy. And that's what will happen here in this uh, book. And it is ultimately looking to the king of kings who will one day come, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. But center stage here in chapters 1 and 2 Uh, that we looked at last week is this woman, an obscure woman from the hills of Ephraim and her husband Elkanah. And uh, we saw last week that it is through this woman that this problem, this solution will be provided for the people of God to give them the leadership. And Samuel will be a key figure to turn the tide here In many respects, he is going to be a prophet who will speak the word of God. It says that the word of God was scarce in these days. Well, God is raising up a man to proclaim the word of God. And that's what is necessary in those dark times, to hear the word of God. So God is raising up this man, Samuel, who will be such a man to speak the word of God. He will also be a judge He will be the one who will appoint uh, the first two kings of Israel. And so we looked at this woman, Hannah. She takes center stage here in these first two chapters. Um, And we saw last week her plight, that she was a barren woman. She belonged to a dysfunctional family where there was difficulties. She had, uh, Elkanah had a second wife who caused her great distress And anguish. And then we saw Hannah's prayer. She went to Shiloh up with her husband and family. And it was there. There's a crucial turning point in her life. And uh, she turns in prayer to her God. She understands that her God is like the God that the Israelites uh, believed and trusted in, in in Exodus 3. He is one who hears the prayers of his people. He hears their moaning and their affliction. He also sees their affliction and he's one that remembers. And We see this in her prayer that he is the one who knows her and sees her and he is the one who will remember her. And so she makes this prayer along with a vow that if the Lord is pleased to give her a son which she is desiring that The Lord, she will give this son back to him to serve him and him alone. And then we saw that as a result of this prayer, verse 18, there is this calm that comes over Hannah. In verse 18, she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. A great change has come over her, and there is this peace and this contentment that she has not been manifesting in in, in her life. Well, we want to continue this because I didn't quite get through the sermon last week. My hope today was to get actually into Chapter 2, if you can believe that. But I uh, did not finish last week, and there were some important things here. Somebody shook their head. No, we we do believe that. Um, We see here, thirdly, Hannah's purpose. Why is it that we have so much that is said about Hannah and her particular circumstances? We could have really summed all of this up to get to Samuel in just a simple verse that there was a certain man named Elkanah. He had a wife who had been barren. She became pregnant. She gave birth to Samuel, and then we could go into the life of Samuel, but the Word of God doesn't do that. It gives us this backstory about the life of Hannah, and I think it's for a purpose. There are things that we learn from Hannah's situation that become helpful to us as we think of this story, Um, and so I think she is kind of a microcosm of the bigger picture of what's going on in Israel at this time and in the days to come, and so first of all, she's a sign of things that presently are of what's going on. When we look at her life, Hannah is barren. Hannah's been unfruitful in terms of bearing children. And just as Hannah was barren and fruitless, so Israel, so Israel at this time, and in these previous decades, centuries, also has been fruitless. There really has not been spiritual fruit that has been coming from the people of Israel. They have been going their own way, doing their own thing. In Isaiah 5, we read there the Lord speaking about Israel. God had, had called Israel out of Egypt, and he brought them into the land of Israel, planted them there, and the analogy is given that God, as it were, had provided this field and made it into a beautiful vineyard, and he put a fence around it, and there was a watchtower, and he planted this special vine there in the land, but did not produce, it did not produce fruit. Rather, there was a bad vine, an unfruitful vine, And uh, there was not fruit that was unto God. And so in many ways, this is Hannah, who has been fruitless. And so it has been with Israel. They have not been bearing fruit unto God. So this sets a little bit of the stage of what's going on in Israel at this time. Interestingly enough, when you look into the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law, in Deuteronomy 7, it speaks there the Lord says that he will love you and bless you and multiply you as you live and obey God. I'm going to bless you in every way. This is what he said to Israel. I've chosen you. I've made you my own possession. It's not because you were the greatest of peoples. No, you were the least of all peoples. It was because I set my love up on you and I loved you. And yet The Lord says, as you obey me, as he had entered into covenant with them at Mount Sinai, I will bless you in every way. And among some of those blessings, he says this. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. And you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you and among your livestock. But what do we find but here a barren woman? And I don't think it's, it's not because of her sin that she's barren, but it's a picture to Israel. This is a reminder that God had said, I will bless you in every way. And she's a reminder of what God had said in Deuteronomy. If you obey me. I will bless you in every way. And, and what we find is these blessings are lacking in Israel. They have been unfaithful to the covenant that God had made with them. And so she is a picture of, of what is taking place even in the nation. Richard Phillips in his commentary said, The Lord closed Sarah's womb to remind Israel that he had also caused the people to be spiritually barren because of their idolatry and, of, uh, and because of their unbelief. And so here's the story of Hannah. Even though Israel has been unfaithful, God is going to give a son to Hannah, Samuel, and through Israel, though they have been unfaithful, God is going to yet pursue his purposes and his promises. God is merciful and gracious And he's raising up Samuel for this purpose. And we might ask ourselves this, you know, what does God expect of his people? He expects of his people that there is fruit. If we have known the grace and the kindness of God, he has saved us that we might bear fruit to the glory of the God who has redeemed us. And what does Jesus say in John 15 in light of what we saw in Isaiah 5? Jesus said, I am the vine. Israel had been an unfaithful vine, unfruitful vine. But here is the true vine, the true Israel, if you will. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. As you abide in me, you will bring forth fruit. You will bear fruit. And his The goal is, is that we bear, might bear much fruit. And so the question we might ask in light of this today of ourselves, am I bearing such fruit? Is the fruit of the spirit being seen in me? The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Is my life bearing fruit to the glory of God? He has redeemed me for that purpose. He's predestined us to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, the true and faithful one, and we are to bear that fruit. So it might be good for us to think about that. Am I more like this barren, unfruitful woman and unfruitful Israel? Or am I, by God's grace, am I endeavoring to live uh, and bear fruit to the glory of God? So here, in many ways, she is a picture of what is true in Israel at this particular time and even, again, the centuries before. But something else that uh, I think we find here, and um, this has been helpful to me. There's a a commentary that was written by two men, J.D. Greer and Heath Thomas, and it kind of gives a different perspective than I had ever seen here and uh, i I hope maybe this will be helpful to us and it has to do with Hannah as we think about Hannah's desire for a son that is a natural desire isn't it It's a natural desire for a wife to want to have children, and so this is a good desire that she has but What it seems to become in her life is something that is a desire that is an inordinate desire. God gives us the way he created us with desires, but often as a result of sin, those desires can become hijacked. And we have an inordinate desire, a wrong desire, an unhealthy desire. And this is what they suggest as they think about Hannah that what has been a desire for a son, for a child, which again is a good desire, but it has become something that is inordinate, which might even be defined as an idol of her heart. This is what she wants so badly. This is what she is putting her hopes in, her confidence in, her, her, uh, her, her desires in. And we see in her life, not just for a short period of time, but for a long period of time. It says here, year after year, she was going through these experiences of a deep-seated anxiety, vexation of her soul. A lot of that is brought about by uh, Panina, but I think there's more to the story maybe. This deep-seated bitterness that's within her own heart that is causing distress and anguish. And this bitterness has gone deep down in her, and it has been dominating her life year after year after year. She has put her trust, her hopes for her identity, for her contentment, for her future security. We saw that last week when You had a son, uh, children, they were a means uh, to help with the family farm. They were uh, uh, hopefully those who would care for you in your elderly age. And so children could be very important to the family life, to one's well-being. And here is Hannah maybe putting all of her focus and attention upon having such a son, someone that will care for her and will bring these desires uh, to her heart, and her trust really was not ultimately in God and in God alone. Jeremiah 2.13 says of Israel that they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and what have they done? They have gone and hewn out for themselves cisterns that can hold no water, that do not satisfy, and that's what we do when we go and we dig these cisterns of our own making and we seek to find in people or things or spouses or children or whatever it may be we seek to find our joy our satisfaction our well-being there and it seems that this may be what Hannah has done but now she has come at this time in her life she has come to the temple of the Lord or to the tabernacle and it is there that she comes and she bears her soul before the Lord. And uh, we see this in verse 11. She is there going to make this vow to the Lord. And notice how she addresses the Lord. He is the Lord of hosts. She has come to see and understand something more about this God that she believes in, that he is the sovereign Lord. He is the Lord over all things. He is ultimately the king. He is the Lord of hosts. And it seems in this prayer, this is a big change in the heart and the life of this woman, Hannah. She is still, as she comes there, she's praying for a son. She's still desiring a son, but it seems the tone of her prayer is altogether different now. And it may be that she's saying something like this. All of my life, I've been asking you to give me a son to make up for some deficiency in my own life. It's always been about me. But now I'm asking for this son, Lord, for you. And this seems to be, again, a change here in the life of Hannah in her thinking, in her whole outlook. Lord, you... You are my sufficiency and my treasure. And if you give me a son, he will, he will belong solely to you. And it reads there in verse 11. Notice she says a razor will not come upon his head. And this is uh, basically her saying for my son, he will be like the Nazarite vow, which we find in number six. Someone could take a vow, and for a period of time, they would not cut the hair on their head, and they would devote themselves in a special way to serve the Lord. And that would be for a temporary time, but this, for Hannah, is different. This is giving her son completely over to the Lord. What a change this is in the life of this woman. How do you explain that she's desired this son for so long and has been in such anguish that now as she is making a petition before the Lord, Lord, if you would grant me this son, I'll turn around and I will give you this son to serve you. I will relinquish him unto you. How do you explain this psychological, emotional change in, in Hannah, but that now she sees that my sufficiency, my hope rests not in a son. the Lord, you are my hope. And when he be, she begins her prayer or her, her praise in chapter two, she speaks about the Lord being this rock. He is the rock upon which my life is built. And so uh, D, uh, J.D. Greer says this that faith means rejoicing in God, When our dreams are still unfulfilled and resting on God, when life is still falling apart all around us, Hannah found her life, her security, her identity, and her significance in God. And she was finally set free from her bondage to the idolatry of family. Well, something to think about as we think about this familiar story to us. And we do see in verse 18 that there is complete change in her. She went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And maybe Elkanah said to his wife, The old Hannah is back. <laughs> she is back. So there is this peace and this contentment. Psalm 43 5. David says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The God who helps us and is able to change the countenance. We can read people's faces often and see there's grief, there's anguish. It's seen on the face. But God is the one who gives help to our countenance, and gives us peace. And so here is this change that I think we see in the life of Hannah. So anyway, something to think about as we think of the story of Hannah. But we also see uh, in Hannah, she's a sign of what is presently true in Israel. As this story unfolds, where is Israel looking For well-being, security, and stability. Hannah was maybe looking to the sun to provide these things for her. Where is Israel at this time? And where have they been looking for these things that they're wanting? Stability and prosperity and security. Where have they been looking? And what is their cry here in the book of 1 Samuel? We want a king like all the nations. That's what they were looking for. They were not hoping or looking to the Lord, but they were looking for a king like the other nations. Again, J.D. Greer says to Hannah, God says these things are not found in sons. To Israel, he says, these things are not found in kings. To both of them, he says, these things are only found in me. The fountain of living water so Hannah sought these things in a son Israel sought these things in a king but they're only found in me the Lord says and so Samuel will be one to bring again the hearts of the people back to their God to see that he alone is their hope now are we not sometimes like Israel of old Do we not make idols for ourselves, things that we put our hope, our trust in? Um, John Calvin said the heart of man is an idol factory. We can make an idol out of anything. It's very relevant, I think, to us as well. She was looking to a son maybe for stability and significance and identity. And Israel was looking to a king. What do we look to sometimes rather than God for our identity and what our security is in, our contentment? And often we become anxious because we are wanting something other than God himself, something that we would put our trust and our confidence in. And so the point, I think, as we look at the Bible is this, that it is knowing Jesus And knowing that he is enough. Jesus is enough for my identity, for my security, for my well-being. It's not found out there. It is found in my God. He is life. He is stability. He is security. So Hannah, I think, teaches us that God is better than many sons. And we see that in her life. Well, a second thing as we think about the purpose of this story, the back story of Hannah, is that also there is a sign of things that are yet to come. Hannah's story is not given to us to be necessarily a prescription for women that have infertility issues. And that is often a very hard and difficult thing for a woman. But this story is given to us and, and, and certainly like Hannah, we can pray and we make our requests known. But this story is given to us because it's a part of the bigger story of the Bible. And what we find in the story of Hannah is that her story is similar to many other stories like this in the Bible, aren't there? What we find is there is this fellowship of barrenness among many of the women of the Bible And it's a part of the bigger story of the redemptive story. And so here is this barren woman um, that does eventually bear a child. And this child is going to then be significant in the history of redemption. And we see this over and over again. So here's a, a barren woman. And God enables her out of her barrenness to have life. And this life that is produced has significant influence in, in, in the redemptive story. Um, and we see this. So something big usually happens after these accounts that we have in the Bible. So think about some of these. We have Sarah, don't we? Abraham's told that he is going to have a family. He's going to have a nation. He's going to have a seed that is going to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. But his wife is barren. And not only barren, but she is also past age. She is beyond the age of childbearing. And what does God do? But God enables her to have a child, the child of promise, who is Isaac. And it is through this seed that God will bring blessing to all the nations. And then there's the story of Rachel. She, in similar ways, is like this story that we find here. There is Jacob that has two wives. One is very fruitful, Leah, and then there is one that is not fruitful, and that is Rachel. She is barren, but God enables this barren woman to have children. One of those is Joseph. Joseph will be significant in a time in Israel when there is a famine. God has raised up Joseph. For such a time as this, to save many people alive, as we read in Genesis fifty. Then there is Samson. Samson's story is, again, very similar to what we find here with the story of Elkanah and Hannah. We read in Judges uh, about this man, a certain man. It says his name was Manoah, and he had no; uh, his wife was barren. But an angel appeared to her and said, "She's going to." Bear a child, and no razor shall come upon his head. Again, there is this Nazarite vow. Here is this man that is raised up out of barrenness to deliver, it says specifically, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So, out of barrenness, there is this person that comes forth that is used of God at a particular time to accomplish a particular purpose. And it's not long after Samson that we have this account of Hannah. She shares in this fellowship of barrenness. And from her is going to come Samuel. Here is God raising up an individual for this particular time in history to become a prophet, to speak the word of God to them, to be a judge, to rule at this very critical juncture in their history. And out of this chaos of the time, God raises up this man, Samuel. And so what we see as we think about these stories, and I think what God would have us to see, that from Genesis to Revelation, that salvation is of the Lord. It's of his doing. And it's seen that God is the one who brings life out of barrenness. It is God who is going to Um, be the one who, in a valley of dry bones, brings forth life. And so we see that it all depends not on men, but it depends on God who will accomplish his good purpose. He's the one that takes a dead heart, a stony heart, and makes it a heart of flesh. He's the one that takes those who are dead in sins and transgressions, and he makes them alive alive. And so 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, let him who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Dale Davis in his commentary says this, Hannah shares in a fellowship of barrenness and it is frequently in this fellowship that we see new chapters in Yahweh's history with uh, with his people begin. They begin with nothing. God's tendency is to make our total inability His starting point. Our hopelessness and our helplessness are no barrier to his work. Indeed, our utter incapacity is often the prop he delights to use for his next act. This matter goes beyond the particular situations of biblical barren women. We are facing one of the principles of Yahweh's modus operandi, When his people are without strength, without resources, without hope, without human gimmicks, then he loves to stretch forth his hand from heaven. And isn't this the same story when we come to the New Testament? There's a man and a woman who are barren. They are elderly, Zechariah and Elizabeth. God enables them to conceive and bear a son. And who is he? Very important time in redemptive history. He is the forerunner of the Messiah who will announce his coming, John the Baptist. And then we have another situation that is unlike any of these others. It is a woman who is going to bear a son, and she's a virgin. She's a virgin. And it is here that we see the miracle of the virgin birth whereby there is now introduced into redemptive history the promised seed that has been longed for and spoken of. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who will bring forth the blessing to all the families of the earth. And we see this all throughout redemptive history, and especially with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think as we look at Mary, it's an amazing thing when we think about her story. The angel says, Mary, you're going to have a son. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you as a virgin, and you're going to have this son. And he will be the very son of God. Now, for Mary, being a virgin and having a son will, will, would mean all kinds of things in the eyes of <laughs> the community around her. She would be seen as someone who has maybe lost her reputation. She does not have a good name. Um, may mean the loss of her husband-to-be. She's engaged. And we read in Matthew 1, that's exactly what Matthew was going, or excuse me, Joseph was going to do. He was going to put her away. She would lose the security now of a husband. And she would lose a good name in the community. She has no idea how all of these things are going to pan out. But what does she say? All right, Lord. Here I am. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word lord my trust is in you my hope is in you you will provide for me but her trust is in the lord her god may god make us to be like them both hannah at this point in her life and also mary that our trust and our hope and our confidence is in the lord well then we come fourthly to hannah's progeny i had to have a p here to keep the alliteration going Uh, but she had a son. And we see that Yahweh remembers Hannah. Verse 19, Then they rose up in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned, and they came to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And notice this, the Lord remembered her. Now, the Lord doesn't forget anything. This is the idea that that God remembered here has this idea that he was mindful of her. He was mindful of the prayer that she had prayed and his purposes. And he remembered her, and now, after all these years, she becomes pregnant, and she is going to bear this son. So God opens her womb, and in verse 20, she bears this son. Hannah conceived, she bore a son, and they called it his And called his name Samuel, saying, Because I've asked for him from the Lord. The word Samuel has the idea, different ways that these words could be translated, but it has the idea that God has heard, God has answered. Every time that Hannah would call Samuel his name, she would be saying, God has heard, God has heard my prayers. And so here is the Lord remembering her and uh, providing for her. But what we also find here is that Hannah remembers Yahweh. She has told her husband, and he's agreeable to this, that she is going to keep the son at home until he has been weaned. Then she will go to Shiloh. Then she will go. And give this son over to the Lord. Now imagine what that's like for a mother. For a lot of times in these days they would not wean a child until two or three. Some say even up to year five. But she's remained home and she is, she is nursing her son. And you can only imagine the bonding that is taking place during this time. And this close emotional tie that she has with her son. And now she's coming to the end of this period, of, and she's weaning her son, and we might think, is she going to carry out her vow? Is she going to do what she has promised that, to God that she would do? And what we find is that Hannah is faithful to do that. She is faithful to do what she had vowed, and we're reminded of that. If you make a vow to the Lord, keep that vow. The Lord does not take delight in those who do not not keep a vow. And Hannah doesn't hesitate. She goes with her husband in this particular year, and she offers up her son to the Lord. And I can only imagine that her heart is heavy and aching and tender at this time. But also at the very same time, her heart is full. She is devoting her son to the Lord. What greater gift could a woman give but her own son? And she keeps the vow that she has made to the Lord, and he will become the one who will be used of God to bring about great changes, needed changes among the people of God. And so we're mindful too, as we think of her story, we'll jump ahead to chapter two, and it tells us that God gave to Hannah, other sons, and she, he gave her daughters. There were, I think, six children all together, including Samuel. God is not unjust to forget your faithfulness. And God blesses Hannah in this very way. As we think of Hannah giving her son, we're also mindful of another truth of the Bible, that it was God, the Father, who gave his own son. He delivered him up for us. He loved the world and he gave his only begotten son. And therein is the great redeemer, the great savior. So as we look at the life of Hannah, as we think of her life, we're mindful of Our own lives, there are bitter and hard things that we go through. But God is faithful. God is good. God is gracious. And we can trust him. It is in him that is our identity, our security, our hope. In him and in him alone. And we have this assurance, we have this confidence that he who has begun the good work in us, he's going to continue that. When we're in the valley or whether we're on the mountaintop, God will continue his work in us. He is the one who will hold us fast. And I invite you to take your insert. And as we close this morning, I'd like to sing this hymn. That he is the one who is our hope. He is our rock. And he is the one who will hold us fast. And let's stand together as we sing.